and welcome to series three of A Coffee With, a C&D podcast where I sit down with some of pharmacy's most inspirational women to find out how they got to where they are today. I'm Emily Stern, a reporter at C&D, and in every episode, I'll be talking to a different woman in pharmacy to chat about their career highs and lows, their aspirations and fears, and everything in between. So, pour yourself a cuppa and join me for the latest instalment of A Coffee With. My guest today is Thorin Govind, a pharmacist, lawyer and chair of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society's English Pharmacy Board. She was first elected to the board of the RPS in 2018, becoming the youngest person to ever do so. After qualifying as a pharmacist in 2016, she studied her graduate diploma in law while working full-time before undertaking her legal practice course. She has also been a vocal proponent of community pharmacy both on social media and in the wider press. So welcome Thorin and thank you so much for joining me today. Well, it's great to be here and I do love a and d podcast, so it's great to be on another one and, and for a fantastic occasion as well. Thank you. Let's start off by talking about how you got started in pharmacy. What prompted you to study pharmacy? Well, it feels like years ago now, but it wasn't that long ago. So I was really interested in healthcare. I could see pharmacists around where I was. Pharmacists were a really accessible healthcare professional. So I was really set on doing pharmacy. I had considered law as well when I was applying, but I set my heart on pharmacy. I absolutely hated chemistry when I was at school. So it wasn't necessarily easy because obviously you had to get that chemistry A-level, biology A-level, and then I also studied history as well. So I've always had a bit of a mix of sort of science and humanities type subjects. So it was a bit of a mix, but yeah, I was always set on pharmacy really. So could you give us an overview of your career so far? quick whistle stop tour. So I qualified in 2016. Prior to that, for probably the last 10 plus years, I've been in the media talking about pharmacy and healthcare. I have been on programs like Victoria Derbyshire, Newsnight. I was elected to the Royal Pharmaceutical Society's English Pharmacy Board in 2018. So I was the youngest elected board member. And then last year in 2021, I was elected chair of the Royal Pharmacy School Society's English Pharmacy Board. So I have really had some amazing experiences in pharmacy. I'm a community pharmacist, but I am also a solicitor. So I've done some additional studying. When I did my pharmacy degree, I was always set on the never doing any more studying again. So I think my career has been quite varied. I've had some amazing opportunities and I'm someone who's always said yes. So that's probably a brief whistle stop tour. So you, you chose to study the graduate diploma in law full time while working alongside in community pharmacy. What was it about law that really interested you? Well, one of the first cases that we actually studied was about boots and the sort of supervision of the remit of where the sale was occurring in the shop. So that was really, really interesting. Obviously, it wasn't specifically to do with medicines, but I think there's legal elements of everything that we do. And I think as pharmacists, we're balancing that legal, but also the ethical duties. And actually, you know, we do break the law as pharmacists sometimes to do what's right for the patient and having to justify ourselves is really important in documentation. So I think there are lots of very interesting things within practice which bring up legal elements. 
So I think it's really exciting and it was just an opportunity really to learn more about a subject which I had an interest in when I was younger, but wasn't as keen to pursue maybe as pharmacy. So you did the graduate diploma and then you also studied, had a master's in law, business and management? Yeah, so that's the sort of follow-on course. And then after that, you have to do two years with a training contract in a law firm. So that's exactly what I did. That's a bit like the pre-registration or what they call foundation year now. It's really an opportunity to get hands-on with the job and work with experts in the field, really. So as part of your job now, you're, you're very active on social media, particularly on Twitter. What is it about social media that's so important to you and how you work? I think I've had so many fantastic opportunities through social media. So I got my pre-reg, for example, through social media. I think it's a great way to make sure that you're informed about the profession, you're informed about what's going on. It means that you're up to date with the latest knowledge. It's great for networking. So there's so many fantastic ways of using social media in a positive way. You know, it can have its downsides and I also have to think about how much time I'm spending on it. And I think also it's good to have a break from social media. But for the most part, it's been really helpful in my career. Could you tell us a little bit about when you were elected to the Royal Parties for Society's board? How did you feel? Why did you choose to stand? It was 2018 when I first stood for election. So I was two years qualified. I didn't necessarily see younger people on the board and also higher up, say, in in pharmacy politics. So I think it's important to go out there and and take those opportunities. And I stood for election. I think people recognise that. Until that point, I've been very much on my own campaigning for funding. And whilst I had some support from some organisations, I think people appreciated that, you know, as a grassroots pharmacist who was doing this alongside their day job, which isn't easy. So I used to, for example, as a locum, I'd just lose a whole day's pay and go to a radio station for half an hour and do a pharmacy phone-in, for example. There's, you know, lots of things that I've done to try and promote the profession. You know, I felt like that was recognised when I was elected and also people really appreciated that I'm quite forthright with my opinions. I like standing up for the pharmacists who are on the ground and making sure that people are heard. So, it, you know, it's really exciting, but also, you know, a privileged position to be in. It's not something that I take for granted either. There's some people who, when they go for leadership positions, for example, are absolutely set on that's exactly what they want to do. You know, it's their life's work. They don't want to do anything else. But I think even when I stepped into my position as chair, it was something that I thought about really in a really measured way. I don't take things for granted. And I always think, am I the best person for this position, really? So I think I'd encourage others to, you know, to get involved in in things like this because we need younger pharmacists particularly to engage and be part of the process and to make sure that the profession continues. Definitely. Have you found on social media that how people engage with you, particularly on Twitter, has changed very much since you you joined the board? It has changed a little bit. I know that if you are in a leadership position, then you've got to accept the criticism. But I think there's a difference between very personal criticism on things not necessarily to do with what you've done. And there'll be some people who are just never going to like you. You could say that the sky is blue and they'll still argue with you and say that it's slightly green. So I have to, in my heart, think, you know, at the end of the day, can I say, am I doing best for the profession? If there's any doubt in that, then obviously I've got to hold myself accountable and and I do. 
It's not easy. And I think also on social media, people expect instant responses. They don't necessarily appreciate, you know, that I've got a full-time job. You know, I, I work pretty much six, seven days a week and do this chair role on top of that. I wouldn't say that the chair role suffers for me doing that. But I also think you want people in these positions who are also practicing. So I think it's important for people to recognize that. So if you send me a, a, te- a Twitter message, maybe at 11 o'clock at night, you probably will get a response, but don't necessarily expect an answer in, in the next five minutes. So I think I'm trying to manage my social media usage as well. And and also, I think there's also a thing about documentation. So we hear about all these government done by WhatsApp or government done by text message. And I think it's really important for good governance of an organization as well to have things solidly in writing. So I do try and say to people, I'm hearing your concern, but can you give me all of the detail? And here's my RPS email address, please email me. And I I will, you know, always respond as soon as I can on that. But I think it's really important that we, we, you know, I love it when people engage. I think what's slightly frustrating is you'll get people offering criticism and I'll say, can you email me? But I don't get any email. And that's, that's, that's very frustrating on my part. In the previous episode of this podcast, I spoke to Victoria Steele, who mentioned that she'd recently spoken with you just about social media as well. And I asked her if she had any tips for pharmacists who are rising through the ranks who are in the spotlight. So I'll ask you the same question. Do you have any tips? I know from some of the other podcasts that Victoria's been on and that myself have been on, we've, we've talked about our experiences and, you know, it, it can be difficult at some times. And I know she's had some real difficulties on social media. I think the most important thing is to think that when you post something, even if you delete it, it's going to be there forever, is, is my presumption. Um, so I just don't really tweet anything that I wouldn't be happy to be held accountable for. I also think it's really important to step away, so have like managed time away from social media as well. So like schedule that into your diary. I'm very much a planner as well. So I think that sort of fits into my daily life and I try and and, and be careful because I think you've got to also make sure you're not spending so much time on social media that you're not there present in the role that you, you know in life that you have because it's important as well to make sure about the confidentiality aspects of that and I certainly wouldn't want any pharmacists or professionals to be getting into any trouble legally because of things that they've been sharing on social media. There's also a flip side, I think, as well. We need people to talk about the valuable work that pharmacists and pharmacy teams are doing. We need people to be open and sharing things. So I think one of the best ways to do that is, you know, make sure you're not posting on the same day that something happens, that details are changed. And also potentially, you know, you just think, is this the right thing to be sharing? But we do need to evidence our impact. And one of the ways that we can do that as a profession is by using social media. What would you say has been one of your biggest challenges that you've faced in your career so far? I think people can underestimate you because you're young and they say, oh, you've got no experience. But what I do know is that I have the ability to network and speak to people with experience about a range of different things, which actually probably puts me in good stead because I get a variety of opinions and experiences from different perspectives. So I don't necessarily think that being young is a problem but I think some people can see it as that and unfortunately that's that's their problem I think. (laughs) You mentioned you qualified in 2016 what was it about community pharmacy specifically that interested you over other areas of pharmacy? 
I think community pharmacy is really accessible. You know, most people are a 20-minute walk away from their local community pharmacy, I think, as well. You know, I'm so passionate about it. I could talk for an age on it. But I think seeing the impact of the funding cuts and when we know we've got such a valuable and vital service and yet that still continues not to be necessarily recognised, that's really hit a chord with me. I like that you can really see a variety of patients in community pharmacy and that we know we know them as presume you know in hospital you don't necessarily hopefully you don't want to be seeing that patient again and hopefully they're staying well and they're out of hospital but in community pharmacy we have the opportunity to be part of people's lives and i think that's really important you mentioned that it's between pharmacy isn't as widely recognized it should be what do you think it needs to get that recognition i think as i said we need people to keep shouting about what we do we need the funding to follow because obviously the workload's increasing, but it's been, you know, with inflation, it's year on year cuts. So it's a lack of recognition about the importance about what we do. You know, during the lockdown, for example, I remember going to work and people could only visit us or they could visit the supermarket. There was nowhere else to go, which highlights you know, just how vital we were. So I think we need to see action. So when we have the government or ministers or even Boris. Boris gave us a mention during lockdowns of the work that we've been doing. It's like clapping. Clapping's great, but we need the funding to follow. And we need in the future, I would love to see more independent prescriber activity through community pharmacies. I'd love community pharmacies to be a hub for the whole community and be easier to access prescribers via community pharmacy. What challenges have you faced as a woman in pharmacy during your career? So there's a lot of research which says that women won't necessarily put themselves forward for jobs if they don't meet all of the criteria for the job. And men, for example, might hit a few of those tick boxes, but they'll still apply. So there's a bit about perhaps women not holding themselves back. I did a talk on this at the pharmacy show. I was part of a panel event. And then I got accused of being sexist for making that comment. That just sort of summed up the whole process isn't it that even as a woman explaining my experiences of being a woman and the difficulties that we sometimes put in front of ourselves that was considered sexist so I think sometimes you still can't necessarily speak your mind about the issues that affect you as a female. How do you hope we're able to overcome some issues women in pharmacy are facing? I think there's just so much work to be done we need to support each other we need to keep encouraging each other to apply for roles that we might not necessarily think we are good at. For example, you know, if we see a role which we think one of our colleagues will be perfect at, we need to encourage them to go for that role. I think we need to see more women in pharmacy leadership. I think at the RPS, we've got quite a balanced board. We've got a good mix on our board with regards to male, female. But I think in other organizations, I'd love to see that same mix. I think there's just so much work that needs to be done also on a ground level. I think there was a C&D survey done recently which showed that there was a pay gap in community pharmacy, which is absolutely outrageous that you know women are being paid less than men. So I think we need to be challenging organisations and saying, well, why is that the case? Are you trying to say that I can't do as good a job? Why is this happening? And why isn't it being addressed urgently? Absolutely. Could you talk a little about your um, career highlights so far? I think probably my career highlight was being elected chair of the RPS because it's such a privilege. There's also an element of the practice that I 
have been part of and those tiny day-to-day elements of helping patients with their medicines. So I remember just having a patient who was really struggling with their hypertension tablets when I had a chat with them because MURs were allowed and accessible and the big thing in the day back then. And part of an MUR, I noticed that they weren't taking some of the other medications. So we were able to liaise with the GP and get that sorted. So I think that's just one example of the ways that we provide benefit to our local communities. And it really is the patient interactions that really keep me going. Having said that, obviously, we have had abuse, which we have had pharmacy colleagues facing over the course of this pandemic and beyond. And that's unacceptable. I think it's these key patient moments where I've really been able to make an impact that have been my career highlights. What piece of advice do you wish you'd been given at the start of your career in pharmacy? I think find mentors and find people who are outside the profession as well to learn from because you'll learn so much from them and they'll be able to give you a different perspective because the risk with any profession is that we just look inward and we don't see what other people are doing, other professions are doing. We don't see how things could be done differently. Also, being a solicitor as well, that's really helpful because I'm able to compare, for example, how progression to become a solicitor compares with the progression to becoming a pharmacist compares. And elements, for example, how we are supervised as trainee solicitors compared to how we are supervised as now foundation pharmacists. So I think there's just so much that we can do as a profession if we also all look outward and seek guidance from others outside the profession to help inform what happens within the profession as well. Is there a particular woman in pharmacy that you particularly admire and why? If I name one now, I'm going to upset someone and I've got so many that I will miss one out. So I'm not going to give a particular name, but there are some amazing pharmacists who are female out there who are doing some incredible work. We've got pharmacists who are helping us with well-being. We've got pharmacists who are flying the flag because they're contractors and they're showing that women mean business and they can own pharmacies. We've got fantastic women in in leadership positions and in academia. There's just no limit to the fantastic work that women are doing in pharmacy. And what's exciting is that we've got a whole new cohort coming up as well. And with organizations like the BPSA, there are some fantastic opportunities for women who are interested in leadership to grow. So it's a fantastic time to be a woman in pharmacy. You mentioned the importance of having mentors outside of your sector, outside of pharmacy as well. Is there a particular woman in law that you particularly inspired? Well, there's an amazing lady called Andrea James, who is a lawyer and she does a lot of healthcare work. And she's known by lots of people within the pharmacy sector. So she is definitely someone who is an amazing role model and has acquired accolades from other professional colleges as well for for the work that she does. That's definitely one, but there's definitely a few on that list. It's just important as well that we continue to support each other as women in pharmacy and women outside of pharmacy, because if you think about it, I always say this, like there was a time that women couldn't be pharmacists and women couldn't be lawyers. And let's face it, you know, two professions with the same problem and the problem wasn't the women. Absolutely. What do you think needs to happen to make pharmacy a better or a more rewarding or more equitable career for women? We're starting to see more flexibility with portfolio careers. And I'm a big fan of people working in different sectors because I think they help inform other sectors. So we're seeing that. And I think there's probably 
more to be done about challenging these, you know, pay differences and and also just the general working environment as well. Yeah, absolutely. Today is International Women's Day and the theme is Break Bias. How will you help break bias over the next year? Well, over the next year, I'll be continuing to, I'm going to say, challenge my fellow females to apply for those roles. I'm going to try and pass on opportunities to them and make sure that I'm supportive in helping make sure that they achieve their potential. And I think if we all support each other by helping with mock interviews, for example, if you've got a job going forward or if you need something looking at, if you're applying for a role, then I'm definitely going to be doing that as part of breaking that bias. I'd sort of love to go back to talking about your work in law and pharmacy. Could you talk a little bit about why you think it's so important for you to combine the two? So I've always wanted to support healthcare professionals, such as pharmacists. And whilst I've been able to do that in the media, it felt like qualifying in law and being able to support pharmacists and healthcare professionals in a legal capacity, because I practice mainly in healthcare law, would be an amazing thing to do. And it really is such a pleasure to be able to support healthcare professionals, because I know what it's like on the front line. I know how hard it is. And I know how hard people are working. So it's really a privilege to be able to support pharmacists and healthcare professionals in that way. I'm just going to see where this takes me. You joined the board of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society so young. Are there any goals you're actively working towards now? What do you hope to achieve? So when I joined the board, I was really keen that we did some work on workplace well-being and supporting people working in the busy environment that we work in. And I think The pandemic's obviously brought some difficulties as well. So that was what I really started on the board with. And I'm really pleased to see that we've been carrying on with that work. I also think with this, obviously with being the chair, I've been really keen to connect people to pharmacy and also to make sure people outside the profession know what we do via the media. So we've been really working hard to get pharmacy out there. And I know that people have definitely been saying they've seen that. So I hope that that continues. And there's also just some work that we're doing and starting about a vision for pharmacy in the future, which I'm really looking forward to sharing with the profession. But right now, just watch this space is all I'm saying. That was Thorin Govind, a pharmacist, lawyer and chair of Royal Pharmacy School Society's English Pharmacy Board. We spoke about why studying law was so important to Thorin, how she navigates backlash on social media and why you should go for leadership roles regardless of your age. For more news and updates on CND's Women in Pharmacy group, please visit the CND community via our website, chemistandraggist.co.uk. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.